The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of body contouring surgery after pregnancy and weight loss. We go deep with plastic surgeon Dr. Amira Sankey, who I've had on the show before, where we talked about labiaplasty. In this episode, Amira opens up about cosmetic procedures that she commonly performs on breasts, bottoms, tummies, thighs, arms, faces, and necks. I ask Amira, what is body contouring exactly? What is its role after pregnancy and significant weight loss? Tummy tucks, otherwise known as abdominoplasties. What different types are there? And how is a tummy tuck actually done? Who is the ideal patient for liposuction? What is cellulite? Why can liposuction make existing cellulite look worse? And what's a good way to cover up cellulite apart from clothing maybe? What does a breast lift involve? And why can someone die after a bum implant? You know those notorious Brazilian bum or butt lifts they talk about? Face and neck lift surgery after weight loss. Why even bother? A little bit about Amira. Dr. Amira Sankey is a specialist plastic surgeon based in Sydney South. She is one of only 15 female plastic surgeons in New South Wales. She is also a board member and chair of education for the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Her board responsibilities include organising aesthetic education for qualified and training plastic surgeons, as well as providing community education about the difference between plastic and cosmetic surgeons. Now, we talked about that in the previous episode where we also discussed labiaplasty, so head back on to that episode for more information about that point and that question. The difference between a plastic and a cosmetic surgeon, what is it? She has a PhD in melanoma, but her main area of practice is in body contouring surgery after pregnancy or weight loss. Dr. Sankey is a strong advocate for women's health and the empowerment that plastic surgery can bring women. She's married to a reconstructive plastic surgeon and they have two children. I hope you enjoy our chat. Dr. Amira Sankey, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dr. Tash. We're going to be talking about something that you're passionate about, which is a main area of your practice as a plastic surgeon, which is body contouring after pregnancy or weight loss. Tell us more. Where do we start? So what is body contouring? Because it's such an ambiguous term, isn't it? It sounds like you get a piece of plasticine and you mould it and hey, presto. (laughs) Well, isn't that what you kind of do as a plastic surgeon anyway? (laughs) Well, actually, you know that. So why is it called plastic surgery? It's called plastic surgery because of um, the Greek word plastikos. Is that the correct pronunciation? I just love the way you just mentioned that because normally it's me throwing the Greek in, but now I have someone who's not Greek throwing the Greek in. But then again, you're married to a Greek, so you've got a bit of Greek in you anyway. Well, you know, once you marry a Greek man, you become Greek. So plastikos means to mould or to sculpt, and and that's why it's called plastic surgery. But there's there's no moulding or sculpting, unfortunately, people. It's cutting and chopping and sucking, Mm. um, sucking out fat. So what body contouring is, is um, improving the body's contours to restore self-esteem and confidence 
Um, and when it's done after um, pregnancy, it's really usually to restore the body to the way it was um, because obviously after having children and breastfeeding, our bodies can get, our skin can get stretched. Um, and then when it's done after weight loss, it's to tailor in all the loose skin to the new, smaller, tinier body. Um, uh, so they can also be, it's, you know, we know that it's to make people look better um, and that is the main driving force, but it also has a functional component to it. So, for example, when women have um, a baby, um, as Dr. Tash can tell us, the rectus abdominis or the six-pack muscle in the midline has to split open in order for the baby to grow. And if you have many babies or big babies, those muscles don't often um, bounce back into the midline. And if the muscles aren't in the midline, then they're not working properly and it can cause back pain and even a little bit of urinary incontinence. And it can make you look pregnant um, even when you're not. So I get a lot of lovely women coming in to see me and they say, I'm sick of people asking me when I'm about to pop out the baby and I had my last child was born five years ago. Mm. So what do we talk about first? Do we talk about tummy tucks or breasts? Post-pregnancy. Um, yeah, well, why don't we talk about tummy tucks, seeing as I just talked about okay. rectus divarication. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. So how many, how many, how many tummy tucks do you do in a year? Um, I would do about 100 a year. Whoa. And yeah. tell, tell us a story about a, an average woman that comes to see you for a tummy tuck. Okay. So the average post-pregnancy patient who comes to see me seeking a tummy tuck is usually complaining of what I just described, looking pregnant when she's not, mm -hmm. that her tummy is sticking out. And it usually um, is a woman who's had, what, a fourth or fifth baby or can it be someone who's just had one oh, baby? But no, you wouldn't really do it after just one, assuming she's going to have more, right? Yeah, yeah, that is one of the most important questions I ask them. Are you planning to have more children? Because obviously you don't want to... Uh, have a tummy tuck and then have another baby and potentially need a further tummy tuck or cause more stretching to the already stretched skin. Um, so they've usually had a few babies and the history is usually that they've had very big babies proportionate to themselves. So if you carry, a, you know, a, an eight kilo baby, but you yourself are five foot ten, um, then you can probably do that beautifully and you won't have any muscle separation. But if you're like me and you're five foot one and you carry a uh, four kilo baby, then you can get some pretty significant damage to the muscles and they don't bounce back to the midline. Um, there's usually a lot of stretching of the skin, um, stretch marks. Women um, uh, really obviously don't like the stretch marks that they get usually below the belly button is the location. And so the nice thing about that is that the skin that we're removing in an abdominoplasty is usually that lower hanging abdominal apron or that lower abdominal skin that has most of the stretch marks in it. So abdominoplasty is the medical term for tummy tuck, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So tell Not us about the process. So um, how we do the operation or how, how someone organises the operation. So um, Both. Mo yeah. So most women have done a little bit of research online. They, they you know, they're feeling down about their body. Um, they may have had a friend who's had it. And then they'll either speak to their GP or speak to a friend and come to see me through word of mouth. Um, and then I will talk to them about what symptoms they're having um, and take their medical history because, of course, you, ideally is, uh, you want your patient to be nice and healthy if they're having plastic surgery. Um, and then I will examine them and just have a look at their tummy and we work out what kind of tummy tuck they'll need. 
So there's a few different types of tummy tuck and most women after pregnancy will just have a classic abdominoplasty where their incision is a little bit lower than a cesarean incision, so quite low down in the in the lower tummy roll, even lower than that, um, so that the scar can be nice, nicely hidden in their bikini pant line um, and it curves out to the hips like a long smiley face. So it's a scar from hip bone to hip bone, pretty long, and then there's also a little scar around the belly button. Uh, and the operation itself is about two to three hours. And um, during the operation, we remove the excess skin from the lower tummy, tunnel the skin flap up to the rib cage so that I can then look at the muscle separation and repair the muscles back together again. And then the final step is that we flex the bed that the patient is lying on so that they're almost sitting up but still mm. asleep and bring the skin tightly back down and close the skin layers in about three layers of um, dissolving stitches. That's very clever. And um, Yeah, it is really clever. Um, it's beautiful what skin can do. It's the most amazing, amazing um, fabric to work with. It's so stretchy. And when you look at that gap that we've created by removing that skin, you know, it's, it's like 20, 20, 15 centimetres wide and we can close it because skin has stretch to it. The favourite part of a cesarean section for me, of yeah. course, you know, pulling out that baby's always lovely. But oh, yeah. I always oh, used to beautiful. love closing skin. I just loved yes. it. You know, it was also yes. you could take your time, generally speaking, and just yeah. So it was lovely, lovely part. So I can I can yeah. see why you love it so much. Yeah, it is beautiful. And I think that's how I knew I wanted to be a plastic surgeon, Tash, because even in my general surgery years, I'd be like, I just want to close the skin. I know you've just saved the patient's life by removing a cancer, but can I close the skin? Yeah. <laughs> I could I could seriously go to, back to doing that, just go from one operating yeah. theatre to another and just close skin. If I yes. could do that, wow, I didn't oh, – bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> let's go back. Oh, let's go back to tummy tuck. So we talked about a yeah. classic incision and now there's something else that you're going to talk about. Yeah, so there's a few other types of abdominoplasty incisions and they're usually more so done for the massive weight loss patients because their skin, um, their loose skin uh, uh, is, envelope is bigger, so there's more tailoring that needs to be done. So, for example, if the abdominal apron is so big that it's curving around to the hip area, then that patient would need an extended abdominoplasty and that incision curves around the hip area to um, the lower back Whoa. and the effect of that operation is to not just tighten the front part of the tummy but it also tightens the loose skin at the outer thigh and um, and the hip area. Um, and then the big whammy, the, the mothership of tummy tucks is called a total body lift. Um, and it's not really a total body lift, it's actually a lower body lift. Yeah. Um, and um, that is where the tummy tuck incision goes 360 degrees around the body. So it's a classic tummy tuck with the hip bone to hip bone incision, but then we keep going all the way around the back and meet in the midline of the back. Um, all in one operation? One operation. So we start with the patient lying face down and remove wedges of skin from their lower back area. And what that does is lift up the buttocks and a bit of the loose skin from the lower back. And then we continue around to the hips, close the wounds with our dissolving stitches, put the dressings on and while they're still asleep, flip them over and do the same to the front part of the Wow, so much care in having to turn them over, I could imagine. Spot on. It takes about five to six people to move a patient from prone, so from lying mm. face down to supine. 
Now, this is generally done in patients who've had massive weight loss. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever have to use special um, kind of bed movers or patient movers, or is it generally the patient is moved by other people without yeah, a, the need just, of a machine? We, yeah. So the great thing about these people is that they um, they've done it. They've lost the weight, so we no longer um, have to worry about not being able to lift them. So it usually just takes um, uh, five six people to carefully move them. And the reason why it takes so many people is that when a patient's asleep, there has to be someone in charge of each part of them. So the anesthetist will have their head, someone will have their shoulders, someone will have their trunk, someone will have their feet. Um, and, and we just slowly, slowly move it so that um, the patient doesn't wake up with any bruises or sore spots. And after a patient has had a tummy tuck, so, so we go the classic, which is I, I assume the more common Tummy tuck yeah. you do? Yeah, that's uh, right. When they leave the hospital, I assume after a few days, uh, they have certain clothes they have to wear or something to, to support yeah. that area? Yep, that's that's a good question. So they leave about three to four days after the surgery and um, most people are wearing an abdominal binder, which is a white stretchy compression garment that wraps around their tummy. And the point of that garment is just to support their tummy because it's feeling a bit sore. So it's just like if you fractured your wrist or your hand, you would wear a splint. This is a splint for the tummy. Um, and the other purpose of the binder is it's closing dead space. So I've lifted the skin and peeled it off the underlying muscles and we want those that skin layer to stick back down to the underlying muscle layer. And, the, and they wear the binder for about three weeks um, and they get a lot of support out of it. Um, most people walk out of the hospital a little bit hunched over because there's a big chunk of them now missing, um, but they're usually standing up straight within the week. And when they've had that operation, there's usually drains inserted afterwards, aren't there? Yeah, I usually put in um, one drain for someone who's having not very much skin removed. So um, if there's someone who's having a kilo tummy tuck or less, um, they'll get one drain. Um, for someone who's having more than that removed, they get two drains. And why is that? The more skin and fat you remove, the more someone drains. Uh, mm. So so that's why I use two as opposed to one. And do you always weigh what you take off? Yes. Mm, interesting. So you literally yeah. put it on a scale and say, we've taken yeah. this amount off you. Oh, Absolutely. Wow. And guess what we use when someone has a lot of skin removed? We we borrow your baby scales. Oh, <laughs> that's too much cuteness. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, doctor, why a tummy tuck? Why not liposuction? Ah, uh, yes. So a tummy tuck um, usually incorporates liposuction. I didn't mention that before. So a lot of people who still have a bit of fat left behind, even after weight loss or after having their kids, will suck out the fat the, from the skin that's remaining um, on their tummy. Liposuction does not tighten skin. It just sucks out fat. So the ideal person for having liposuction is someone who is probably at their ideal body weight but has a problem area. Mm. So um, being a Middle Eastern woman, I my problem area is my thighs and hips. Um, so um, that is the ideal patient for liposuction. They should also have pretty good quality skin. So if you do liposuction in someone who already has loose skin, it's going to make that skin even looser. Mm. And the other error is to think that liposuction will help manage cellulite. 
liposuction actually makes cellulite worse because cellulite looks better if the skin is tighter. And if you remove fat and then make the skin looser, then the cellulite will appear worse. Very interesting. So in a nutshell, what is cellulite? Um, Cellulite is an affliction of women only and it is dimples in the skin created by the fibrous attachments between your muscle layer and your skin layer that, that tugs on the skin and therefore creates those dimples. Men don't have those fibrous attachments so they don't get cellulite. So what, why are women affected by it? What, why, what is there some biological advantage? What's the deal? I have, I have no idea. And are there more, like, depending on where you come from in the world, are you more likely to have cellulite than than another woman? Um, I don't know the answer to that either. Um, I would say that um, there there are certainly cultural differences that I've seen um, that I do think that women of Mediterranean background tend to have it um, more than um, uh, white Caucasian women. Um, and similarly, I don't see it as much in um, in darker skin women. Mm. I wonder if it's because it shows less, or whether they just yeah. have less. Who knows? Absolutely, huh? absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell women who come to see me about their cellulite. Look, honestly, you just need to open up a bottle of fake tan. That's the best we can do. <laughs> 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 Anything else we need to talk about in terms of tummy tucking and lipo before we go to the Flies, um, the arms, the bums, the yeah. breasts. So, look, it comes back to what we mentioned in the previous episode that if you have a only, if the only tool in your armamentarium is a hammer, then everything is a nail. So, if you go and see someone who only knows how to do liposuction, they will tell you that liposuction is the solution for every um, plastic surgery problem. And it's really important to see a proper specialist plastic surgeon who has every tool in the kit so that they can give you the right um, solution. So, just as you said, um, Tash, sometimes liposuction is the answer. Sometimes a tummy tuck is the answer um, and you just want to see someone who can offer both so that they can give you the proper solution. Lovely. And how about breasts now? Can we talk about boobs? Boobies. Boobs post-breastfeeding. Why are we so obsessed with boobs when they're most of the time hidden behind clothing? I just don't understand why so much of a woman's body image is tied up in her breasts. And there is this really ironic thing in my practice that I will do a breast reduction Mm. and take off kilos from a woman's breast and then I'll do a breast augmentation and make another woman's breast Mm. bigger. I don't know if it's the grass is always greener or anyway. What do we say about in medicine? Treat the individual. So many individual nuances and... Yes. So tell us about breasts. So um, there's a lot of different plastic surgery procedures we can offer um, women to help improve um, the appearance of their breasts. So most women after having children and breastfeeding require a breast lift or breast reduction if they're feeling down about their breasts. And that is because after um, breastfeeding and breast reduction um, and um, after breastfeeding, the breasts can sag um, because they were much bigger and then they lose their volume and go back to their normal size, but the skin hasn't caught up with it. So the breast volume um, uh, sags and droops. Um, what a breast lift involves is moving the nipple 
and the areola, which is the pink part around the nipple, up to the front part of the breast again, and then removing loose skin, and also putting in some stitches into the breast tissue to reshape it and improve its projection and, um, and make it look like a pretty beautiful breast again. So it doesn't involve implants generally? Look, if I can avoid implants, I will. Um, and a lot of people think that implants are the only answer. But as you know, Tash, um, we would never put a hip, a fake hip or a fake heart valve or a fake pacemaker into someone's body unless they really needed it. Mm. So I think we jump to breast implants too easily. And breast augmentation surgery is the most commonly performed cosmetic procedure on the planet. Because it's simple, you know, you make an incision in the fold of the breast, you make a pocket for the implant and you pop it in and close the wound and it's done. And in an hour and a half, mm. you've got bigger, harder, firmer, perkier, more gorgeous boobs. It's, a, it's similar fake. to the vaginal analogy, you know, and people using mesh to insert into yes. the vagina to repair yeah. vaginal yeah. faults. And a lot of surgeons, a lot of gynecologists that I talk to say, look, if I can just work with the tissue that yes. is there, I'd rather do that yes. than then have yeah. to put some foreign body into a woman's body, which can then cause issues. real potential issues. And yeah. and that's, that could be a topic for another podcast. What, what are the issues that women face post-breast implant? Um, that's right. That's right. Mm. So, um, you know, not to poo-poo implants, they make women fantastically happy, you know, 95% satisfaction rate. That's virtually unheard Thank goodness of for that if that's the procedure. most common procedure what performed yes, on the planet, you yes. say? Yes, exactly. But the issue is that long-term um, there are always problems um, and it would be rare for a woman to have them done in her 20s and not need further surgery at some point in her life. Um, so if a woman's got good breast volume but just needs the reshaping and the nipple lifted up, that's a breast lift. Um, but if she's lost volume or needs um, or wants to be a bigger size, then breast implants are the answer. And uh, in terms of post-recovery, do they wear special bras once they've had this surgery? What do you recommend? Yeah, so, Lettuce so leaf for pain? <laughs> <laughs> like a bit of like... Um, yeah, with a bit of olive oil and balsamic vinegar, delicious. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what they wear afterwards is um, just a post-operative surgical bra and different plastic surgeons will recommend different bras. And I personally am a big fan of just wearing a uh, wire-free um, sports bra um, or a very soft, um, soft bra that does up at the front so it's easy to get on and easy to get off. And most women are back into a normal bra within about two to six weeks. And the main thing that I get them to avoid is any activity that bounces the breast too much for the first six weeks so that those shaping stitches um, can, can take hold and can heal. And why wire-free bras? Um, so we go for wire-free just in the post-operative period because there is an incision usually in the fold of the breast, under the breast in the inframammary fold, and the wire, um, the pressure of the wire can sometimes rub against that and cause pain. That's the only reason. I love wired bras and non-wired bras. I don't care which, which kind of bras women wear, whatever makes them feel good. Amira, can I bring up a memory? Yeah. No. No, I know what... <laughs> <laughs> 21st birthday Tash was in charge of buying your birthday present and what did I do I went and bought you lingerie and I remember having so much fun buying bras for you with other people's money 
Yeah, yeah. And you knew you knew that one day I would become very, very obsessed with bras. <laughs> I loved buying your twenty first birthday present. How funny is that? Yeah, that was a very good present. I was glad it was you and not the other. Um, how many other males did you go with? I on cannot that remember. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they had no idea what my present looked like. <laughs> I just remember putting myself in charge of buying your gift and I told them what I was buying. They're like, yeah, that sounds good. Just buy that. That's fine. All good. You do that. (laughs) Now, anything else we need to talk about in terms of breasts and and the breast body contouring before we move to the bum lift? Can we talk about bum lifts? Do you do those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess what's the last thing to mention? So with breast surgery, um, the weird thing that has happened to me this year is that I've picked up three breast cancers in patients who are having um, uh, planning breast plastic surgery. Ooh. So How old so were they? They were all around our age, Tash. Wow, um, 40s. Yeah, yeah. How scary is that? So an important thing to do in anyone who's considering um, aesthetic breast surgery, if I, I would say if you're 40 and over, is to have a mammogram or an ultrasound um, before the surgery just to give yourself the all clear to make sure that uh, there's nothing else going on. Is that standard recommendation or is that just your it, opinion? Yeah, yeah. Look, that is my opinion to pick the age of 40. Mm. Um, but if anyone's got any strong family history, um, most plastic surgeons would also suggest um, some kind of scan beforehand as well. Very good advice. Yeah. Safety first. Mm. On to bums. Bottoms. Now, where on earth did this Brazilian butt lift phenomenon come from? Well, I assume it came from Brazil. Um, so, <laughs> so there there are a few ways to make your bottom look perkier and fuller. Uh, and, again, this is a very, very big thing in the massive weight loss group because, sadly, they all lose their bottoms. And I suspect it's because you have to churn a little bit into your muscle mass when you lose weight. Mm. When you're in and the gluteus maximus phase. is the biggest muscle in the body. Yes, exactly. So I, I suspect that's what's going on, that they're not just losing their fats in there, but they're also losing um, a bit of their gluteus maximus. Yeah, because of all the protein loss. Exactly. Mm. So um, what I do for those patients is, you know how I talked about the lower body lift where we cut the wedges of skin from the lower back area? Mm. So in those patients, what I do is I peel the skin off. This is a bit gruesome, a bit uh, silence of the lambs. We peel I was going to say we, silence we of we the keep, lambs. <laughs> <laughs> we, we keep the whatever fat they have left under that wedge of skin and we tuck it in like like a hand into a pocket into their buttock skin. So it's an autologous, it's their own auto fat augmentation. Another great Greek um, word. Yes, and, and that can work quite well. It's, its downfall is that it fills up the upper part of the bottom but not so much the lower part of the bottom because we can't get the fat quite down low enough. Um, there are silicon Um, buttock implants but they're not such a popular procedure here in Australia because they're fought with problems because um, breast implants work well because they're just on the breast they have no pressure on them but when you're sitting on a silicon implant every day there's Mm. a much higher risk of it moving and also of it popping through the wound that it was put through so not many people would offer that or say it's a good idea and then the final option is fat grafting which is the Brazilian butt lift or BBL and um, fat grafting involves sucking out fat from one part of your body and like a transplant, injecting it back into the buttock area. Um, BBLs become a real 
fashion thing, um, like thanks to the Kardashians, um, to have this big fat booty. I find it really unattractive to have a massive booty, but that's just my personal aesthetic. And I am grateful to all these women who are having it done because I think they're going to create work for me in the future when I get to like to suck it out again. <laughs> have the Kardashians actually have, have, have they had surgical enhancement of their bottoms? I think Kimmy has. I mm. think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, love your booty and, and other people like uh, J-Lo. I don't know about J-Lo, but she's, oh, she's got a Lord. very famous butt, whether it's been Absolutely. You know, enhanced Absolutely. or not. Yeah. Yes, yes. So some people just naturally have that gorgeous full round booty. Mm. Oh, Kylie Minogue, gorgeous booty, gorgeous. Yeah, and those gold shorts. Oh, divine. Yeah. Um, Although yeah, she's still so pretty petite. I mean, I remember going yeah. to an exhibition in Melbourne that actually had all of her outfits on display. And seriously, she is so petite. Yeah, I could um, probably get uh, the gold shirts, uh, shorts onto one of my arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking when I was looking at those gold shorts. So the thing about BBL um, is that it is natural, it's your fat, that's the good thing about it. The bad thing about it is that not all of the fat takes because it is a transplant and it's got to grow in a new blood supply. So we usually have to over over inject the fat, expecting some to die. And some really unlucky people, none of the fat takes, so it's been a total waste of their time. And then unlike any other plastic surgery procedure, it actually has a mortality rate. It, uh, the, the South Americans have actually calculated that one in 60,000 people will die if they have this operation from the procedure, which is a bit frightening. Yeah, I remember a few years ago reading a few articles about the death rates and I was astounded. Yeah. And so what, yeah. why? Why? Is it infection? So what the did reason- they die of? Okay, so you can get infection problems, obviously, because we're operating in a dirty area, so it's more prone to infection because it's around the buttock. Mm. Um, um, But more importantly, um, as we're injecting that fat, if the fat accidentally gets pushed into or injected into one of the very large veins of the buttock, then that fat embolus or, or ball of fat will get sucked down the vein and go straight to the heart, and the heart is like um, has chambers and the fat can block the chambers and therefore you pass away. Yeah. yeah. I don't like fat. Oh. Don't like fat. Don't like fat in the heart. I like fat everywhere else. Mm. <laughs> Wowza. <laughs> yeah, wowza, wowza. So, again, that's why you have to think twice about any surgery because it has risks and you've always got to make sure that the benefits outweigh the risks. How about thigh lifts and arm lifts, like the, the legs and the arms? I mean, the, the, so, the, the tuck yeah. shop arms, that, yeah. is that, that's most yeah. common after weight loss surgery rather exactly. than pregnancy, right? Exactly. Mm. So it would be rare that I did um, a brachioplasty, which is an arm lift or a thigh lift um, in someone who has not had a weight loss. Um, because they're the, they're the patients who are going to ha- get the huge billowing tuck shop arms and such an enormous amount of loose skin on the inner aspect of their thighs that they have difficulty with walking, chafing, recurrent abscesses and infections um, because the skin, like a Sharpe puppy dog, you know, the skin is just rubbing against itself um, and makes it really uncomfortable for them. Um, So what we do in those operations is that um, we remove wedges of skin um, and then again close the skin and dissolving stitches. 
they're difficult operations to recover from because your arms and legs are always moving. Um, so you're gonna feel those wounds whenever you are moving. Um, and look, honestly, it takes about six to 12 weeks before they're feeling comfortable and, and fully mobile. Wow. How often do you do that operation? They're less common. So I would do um, a thigh lift or a brachioplasty maybe once a fortnight. And again, you weigh that tissue each time you take it off? Yeah, yeah, very satisfying for people to see the wedges of skin, um, a photo of the wedges of skin and to know what, what how much they weighed. They never weigh as much as people are expecting. So, for example, the average brachioplasty wedge excision from one arm will weigh about two, 300 grams. That's not that much. Um, yeah, mm. yeah. The, the average tummy tuck I do will be about two and a half kilograms <laughs> um, in a weight loss patient. That's a baby. That's a whole baby. Yes. A well, small baby, but, you know, still know. a baby. So I think we just have more fat um, that's still stored in the tummy apron. Mm. Yeah. What other procedures do you do that you wanted to let us know about today? Um, so the, the final one that I wanted to talk about, especially in the massive weight loss group, is face and neck lift surgery, which, which sounds really vain, but when you've had a massive weight loss, it's interesting that I find this group is most preoccupied with the way their body feels and looks um, and the discomfort caused by their skin. But interestingly, that's not what people see. What they mostly engage with and see is your face. Mm. And unfortunately, massive weight loss can cause some people to lose a lot of fat from their face and cause a lot of skin neck um, skin uh, neck droop and neck sag because a lot of people have a double chin or a full, full face when they're, when they're larger. Um, and I find it really, really interesting that they're not so concerned about that. They're, they're very concerned about their way their body looks. Um, so I would say to people, don't dismiss face and neck lift surgery. Um, it sounds daunting, um, but just like all the other plastic surgery procedures, um, its risk profile is not too bad. It's pretty good. Um, and it will really improve um, your self-confidence and your self-esteem if you're just looking your age. So this is not even facing neck lift surgery to make you look younger. It's mm. just to make you look your age. And on a final note, you're a, a strong advocate for women's health and the empowerment Absolutely. that plastic surgery can bring. Yes. Do you talk to women? Do you give lots of talks about this topic? Absolutely, absolutely. You, it's it's such a fine line between having plastic surgery unnecessarily that's going to make you feel even worse about your body, and having plastic surgery to empower you and give you confidence. And that's why I speak to my patients. I get to know them because I'm not just finding out about their comorbidities, whether they smoke, whether they're healthy. I'm finding out about whether the plastic surgery is the right thing for them to make them feel better about themselves. Um, plastic surgery in the right patient, someone who's confident and motivated and has a genuine problem, is the most wonderful thing I can do. It is such a privilege what I get to do for people. And every plastic surgeon has fallen into the trap of offering someone surgery when they shouldn't have had it because there are other more serious psychological issues and anxieties going on. Um, and that is just a world of pain for both the patient and the surgeon. So you'd have a lot of feel-good, happy stories. Can you share a oh, story that comes yes. to mind with us? Um, let me think. 
Um, look, I would say nearly every one of my massive weight loss patients has a story. You know, it's really interesting. There's sort of like some kind of incredibly deep crevice of sadness in every person's life. Mm. Um, and when you give them back this feeling of being who they've always wanted to be, it, it, it really brings tears to your eyes. Like I really remember, I remember the first woman I ever operated on um, and I did a breast lift with implants and a tummy tuck and she described her body as melted candle wax and at the end of her six-hour operation, I took my gloves off and I just looked at her body before we put the garments on and tears came to my eyes because I could not believe that this woman looked better than any of her friends and and looked the best she could have possibly ever looked in her life um, out of this six-hour operation. And it just brought me so much joy to do that for her. So you um, took her from looking like melted candle wax to candle a Greek, wax. Greek sculpture. Absolute goddess. Of or a Roman and, sculpture or whatever, Egyptian, whatever you yeah, want to call exactly. it. <laughs> the beautiful thing about this woman is, of course, it was many, many years ago. She still sends me photos of her kids and her wedding day that she subsequently had and and all the little moments in her life because there's just that connection there now between us that when you go through that journey together, um, I don't know, it's a very bonding experience between surgeon and patient. Yeah, and you've you've helped make someone happy. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know what it's like. You, you do it through other mechanisms. But, you know, that's why we became doctors to make people happy. It's a really, really, it's a, it's a privilege. It's a beautiful thing. So true. Thank you, Dr. Sankey. I'm going to have you, you back Dr. one Sankey. day to talk about something uh, else. Anytime. Fashion, anytime. maybe, who knows. Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, we'll have a seance and get together with our fashion designer friends. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, we should actually talk about bras and bra fittings and breasts. Yes. That'll be yes, one. perfect, perfect. Chat soon. Thanks, Tash. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Dr. Amira Sankey. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny tabulous. <laughs>